wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Battery seems fine. I'll have to take a closer look. You're lucky I was driving by. Don't want to be stranded on a night like this without a working heater. Ah, there it is. The fuel injector is a mess in these newer cars. All this digital stuff, it just gums up the works. Give me something I can see, something I can get my fingers into, and I can fix it up no problem. None of this circuit board crap. Huh, I can tell what you're thinking. All these missing fingers must make me seem a bit clumsy, a bit amateurish. Go ahead, you can laugh. It's been years and the pain is long gone. Besides, these new chrome ones are better than the old flesh and blood model. So what's your story? You're from out of town, right? Either you're visiting or just passing through. Uh, yep. Just passing through. I could have guessed. Like I said, you're lucky I was driving by. Not many people out this way. I'm sure you noticed most of the houses on this street are dark on the inside. Abandoned. City council offers uh, benefits and subsidies and what have you to entice young folks into moving here. No dice. Only thing these old homes are still good for is scrap aluminum and copper. Why do I stay? Let's just say every man has his loyalties. And my loyalties are to the good old days. Used to be this was a real happening part of the province. Dozens of folks moving in by the day. Every time you turned your head there was a new movie theater, malt shop, even one of them uh, hair salons with the new machines from Italy. And everyone, everyone, was driving a Blaylock. You haven't heard of Blaylock, have you? Well, you just rode in one. A 1956 Blaylock Camara. Best car they ever made, in this man's opinion. Of course, I admit I'm a little biased. Blaylock had the run of this town for decades. Remember that abandoned factory we passed? The one with the windows all shattered to hell? You wouldn't know it, but for years that factory was the throbbing heart of Ontario's auto industry. Assembly lines winding through it like veins, pumping out the steel and iron machines that powered the whole Christian world. As a boy, I sat outside and watched the factory exhale thousands of men every night, exhausted from the twelve-hour day. But I could tell they were grateful to be making such beautiful automobiles. And why wouldn't they be? It was their contribution to the greatest era in human history. And right in the middle of it was my father, working the line. I only saw the inside of the factory a few times, but there's an image of him burned into my mind. He stands over a nearly complete Blaylock like a surgeon, pulling on a wrench as long as my arm. A thick line of sweat is imprinted on the back of his shirt. 
All at once he releases the wrench and rubs his aching hands together. He turns to retrieve a rag, but when he sees me watching him, he stops. His mustache sags into a half-frown. He's annoyed, almost like I've interrupted him in a moment of prayer. <laughs> but that was my pops. Took his job seriously, as every man should. He was the biggest guy I ever knew. Could heft the axle of a goddamn semi-truck without breaking a sweat. Smart, too. If it ran on gasoline, he could fix it. He would have had you back on the road in five minutes instead of needing to tow you back to a garage like I did. A great man. Blaylock loved him almost as much as I did. For twenty years, he tightened blood nuts in the pride and joy of the factory. Same car you rode here in. The Blaylock Camara. You see why I'm biased now. He would do it, barehanded, refusing to use the electric fastener. It was slower going, but my old man took pride in his work and he had more torque in one arm than three of those pneumatic contraptions. The way the line was set up, my pops always worked the left wheels. Sometimes we'd spend a Saturday tooling around at the town's auto shops, checking on the Blaylock Camaras that had come in for maintenance. My dad would grin and ask the mechanic to tighten the lug nuts right in front of us. The right ones would always be loose by a rotation or so. But the left ones were as firm as the day my old man tightened them. He'd leave the auto shop walking so tall he could step over the moon. Hey, you know what? Let me check your oil while I'm at it. You go grab a drink from the fridge. Get me one, too. It wasn't just the lug nuts, by the way. He made it his business to know that car inside and out. He took pride in knowing that whenever the managers or engineers needed to know a detail, no matter how minor, they'd come right to him and he'd tell him lickety-split. He even had a measurement shorthand. He'd matched every part of the Camara with a part of his body. The headlight radius was exactly the length of his hand. The main bolts for the crankshaft were exactly as long as his fingers. It went on like that from the bumper to the spark plugs. The human ruler, they called him. It's no wonder he bought himself a Camara just as soon as he could. And he passed that love down to me, sitting me down on the oil-stained floor of this very garage so I could watch him while he worked all evening on his car. Mom never liked it, but as soon as I could walk, I was bringing him tools. And as soon as I could bring him tools, I was getting cuffed for bringing him the wrong one. It sounds harsh, but you gotta understand that he had high expectations of me. Wanted me to take his place on the Blaylock assembly line once he'd outlived his usefulness. If you want to learn fast, there's no better teacher than an open hand. <sighs> of course... Those plans changed when Blaylock got swallowed up by GM. Then the uh, factory shut down and GM went after those cheaper workers down south and overseas. That would have been some time before you were born. That's what unions get you. My dad, he'd always fought against those pinkos for years. He even helped management sneak temporary workers into the factory when the union tried to strike. Lost him a lot of friends. And then when the factory left, it was like... He lost a part of himself as well. Say, could you hand me that flathead over there? The uh, missing leg makes walking to the tool bench a real pain. <laughs> I had just turned 18 by then, and I'd gotten some bad ideas from school and TV, so I told him how mad I was at Blaylock for abandoning him and all the other line workers, and how they should have been loyal after he gave them 20 years. He didn't say a word but I can still hear the snap of his belt being pulled off. Worst beating of my life. After that, he extended one massive finger and pointed it and turned to the refrigerator, the couch, and every other appliance and piece of furniture in the house. 
Layla gave us all of this, he was saying. Everything you have. You want to talk about loyalty? It's time you showed some. And he grabbed me by the collar and took me to the garage where he kept the 1956 Camara. This very car. Made me work on it all night. Oil change, spark plugs, waxing, standing over me watching my fingers bleed as I tried and failed to tighten the lug nuts. All night long I serviced that car until I passed out in the back seat. It was my mom that woke me up. I couldn't see the sky through the garage roof, but I could feel the crisp darkness in the air. She was stroking my face lightly. I tried to sit up, but my entire body was on fire. She helped me up gently and put a finger to her mouth. Let's go, she whispered. You won't be up for hours. And she gestured to two pieces of luggage, one filled with her stuff and one filled with mine. She'd waited until I was 18 to leave, she said, so that I could come with her and my dad wouldn't be able to use the courts to force us to come back. If we left now, together it would be a clean break. And I remember, when she was done, I stared at her for the longest time, not believing what I was hearing. There was so much I wanted to say, but only one word passed my parched lips. Loyalty. She looked at me, tears in her eyes. Her planet had one hitch, one thing she'd forgotten. I was 18 now, and I could do whatever I wanted. I rolled over in the back seat of the Camara and fell dead asleep. When I woke up again, she was gone. She'd left behind my luggage, still sitting on the garage floor. I hurried upstairs to unpack my clothes before my pops woke up and realized what had happened. I I'm sorry, I'm rambling a bit. Let me uh, take a closer look at that fuel injector. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything for it right now. There's an auto parts surplus store that opens up early tomorrow. You'll just have to stay the night. See, what you ought to do is get yourself an older vehicle. Take the Camara, for example. It's not just a pretty face. That engine has been running smooth and clean for over 60 years. With a few replacement parts, of course. They just don't make cars like this anymore. Once Mom was gone, Pops and I were really able to focus on taking care of our Camara. And the beautiful thing about taking care of a machine like this is that it also takes care of you. My dad was never happier than when he was tinkering with the Camara, and for me, well, it was my education. I learned her ins and outs, and as I did, I learned about the kind of world that could produce something so beautiful and perfect. Yep, a car like this. You get in it, and you almost feel like you're back in the good old days, cruising down Main Street. After Mom left, Pops and I spent a lot of nights doing just that. Back then, Main Street was a place you wanted to be. It wasn't filled with bums and drug addicts yet. There were movies and dance halls and ice cream shops. You'd be stopped at a stoplight and you'd see a cute little bird out with her friends. Good evening, ma'am, you'd say and tip your hat. And she'd say good evening right back. Not scared or angry like the women today. Sometimes... We'd drive to one of the big cities, and I'd always thank God Pops and I stayed in our hometown. The cities were always a mess, filthy and crime-ridden. I could feel the rage radiating off my Pops as he saw single women out working instead of raising kids, or when he had to look at those weirdos crowding up on the sidewalks, the apartment buildings. You understand what I mean, right? Folks, not from around here. People who didn't know the first thing about this nation, with names you could break your jaw trying to say. Dressing the wrong way, speaking wrong too. We'd lock the doors and roll up the windows the whole time we were there, safe in the Camara. And then we'd drive home faster than was allowed because we knew only then we'd be safe. 
The years passed, and our nightly drives to Main Street became more like a quiet visit to a graveyard. One by one, our usual haunts had packed up and disappeared, to be replaced by block after block of decaying buildings filled with unsavory businesses and loan sharks. Now when we drove through, it was just like when we'd used to drive through the cities, with the Camara's doors locked and the windows rolled up. My dad would point at the boarded-up storefronts. Loyalty, he'd growl. Faith. But everything was okay as long as me and Dad had paradise in the garage. As our town and our way of life died out, we kept working on the Camara. My dad and I took repair jobs wherever we could get them, fixing other people's cars so we could afford to keep on going. Months turned to years, years turned to decades, though you'd never know it looking at the car. Pops, on the other hand, his temper used to be big and explosive like fireworks. I should know, I got the worst of it, but as the years passed it withered into these croaks of frustration. You know, I'd, I'd hand him the wrong tool and he'd just stare at me, angry as hell, but only a few vulgarities would force their way out. And then one day he couldn't speak at all. My dad bloodied the doctor's nose when he told him that the throat cancer was likely caused by two decades working in an auto factory. He would have done worse if I hadn't grabbed him and lifted him against my chest, for the first time feeling how light he'd become. We drove home in silence. On our way back, I stopped in at an auto parts shop and splurged on a new carburetor. My dad was staring at it, sticking his fingers through the choke point and then absent-mindedly running his fingers down his face. I could have sworn I saw him smile. The next month was a flurry of work. My dad barely left the garage. With his death sentence hanging over his head, he wanted to focus on what was important. The Camara never looked better than the day we parked it out in front of the hospice. He spent the last few weeks of his life drawing plans. Spent all of his time on it. Hardly talked to me at all, except to send me out for more paper, pens, and a few times for anatomy textbooks. After he finished, he gave me a sealed envelope. By the time I came back from the mailbox, he was gone. The car was so important to him, to us, that I couldn't be surprised by what was in his will. The executor said there was no way I could be expected to carry it out. Last wishes or not, sick he called it, immoral and unchristian. But he didn't understand loyalty, or what the Camaro, what Blaylock meant to my dad. All his money had gone to political causes, organizations that promised to bring back auto manufacturing by fighting organized labors, and charities promoting abstinence and godliness. Me, my inheritance was a single banker's box. A heavy one, lifting it would have given you a hernia. Inside, it was filled with hundreds of blueprints. When I got home, I knocked everything off the kitchen table and spread the sheets out. Only then did I understand what I was looking at. His designs were brilliant. Couldn't even tell he was on his deathbed when he drew him. That's how straight and perfect his lines were. There was no question that a skilled mechanic could carry it out. I was that mechanic. He trained me to be that mechanic. You see, Dad didn't want to go into the ground where he'd waste away and be no good to anybody. So, the next night, I drove to the graveyard and started digging. Come here. Let me show you. Come here. I said, come here! Look at the gear stick. See how white it is, how perfectly it fits the car? That's my pops. <laughs> part of him, anyway. My dad, the human ruler, he'd paired each part of the car to a part of his body. I only needed to follow the instructions. 
I hung his body on a steel hook and hoisted him into the middle of the garage just like he was another engine block. It took days to strip all the old man's parts, but I did it, scooping him out from top to bottom. Once he was empty, I began the process of modification, filing down the bones, treating his guts with potassium hydroxide, mixing resin and water into buckets filled with his thick red blood. That gear stick, that was the first part I replaced 15 years ago. It's his tibia. The shin bone. Put your hand on it. See how it fits, as if it was always meant to be there. Lasted longer than any of the aluminum gear sticks, let me tell you. Come on, look. This fan belt. Human intestine, processed into thin strands like cat gut and woven together. Strong, elastic. Feel it. This paint is enriched with his blood, the blood that pumped through his veins on the Blaylock assembly line. See how it shines under the wax? And here, the carburetor where the car inhales oxygen to mix with the fuel. My dad's skull. Reinforced slightly and with a few extra holes added. <laughs> Look at it. Perfect. With each part of him I stitched, soldered, and screwed into the Camaro, I could feel his legacy being cemented. I was building a... Uh, what do you call it? A monument. A monument to the beautiful era that produced a car like that and a man like him. Something to stand against the degradation of society. But then... Look, I'm not proud of this. A few years back, I was waiting at a green light and this lady in front of me, she just wouldn't move. Her hair was cut short and dyed in unnatural pink and she was talking on one of those hands-free smartphones. I could see her big white teeth in her rearview mirror. She was laughing about something carelessly and smoking a cigarette. It was disgusting. I didn't mean to give it so much gas. Just a, just a little love tap is all to remind her to get moving. After the collision, I peeled out, and I guess the damage to her car wasn't so bad because the cops never showed up here. But the Camara, the headlights had been pushed back and shattered. The lens and projector would be easy enough to fix, but the damage extended to the casing where I placed my pop's knee joints. Both were cracked right in two. Fixing one would be easy, that's why I've got this here chrome leg. But I couldn't give up both if I was going to keep this car running. If I'd had a child of my own, I would have had another two knees to work with, but no. But then, it hit me as I thought of the woman with the obscene haircut. My dad didn't want me to maintain the Camara for him. He wanted me to maintain it for you. For young people everywhere. People who grew up aimless and immoral because no one ever taught them about tradition. And if the Camara is meant to be part of you, you should be part of it. That's loyalty. That's respect. And so, I began... incorporating parts. Younger men and women, the ungrateful grandchildren of my father's friends, people who had long ago abandoned this town to the dust but who returned to visit their relatives, sneering the whole time. They were traitors, but their bones and sinew were strong and they made the Camara strong. All thanks to my father's detailed designs. So you understand why I had to pick you up. Do you see it now? Uh, with these missing fingers of mine, some repairs are, uh, <laughs> more art than science. I'm sure you saw the mess all over the back seat. Motor oil. I was nearly in tears, never thought I'd be able to get a suitable replacement. But you, your skin. Even when you were standing by the side of the road, I could see it was the exact same shade as the Camara's leather interior. 
Uh, I mean, what are the odds? You were made for it. Now stop that. Try to be reasonable. This is more important than you being comfortable. It's about ideas, principles. You're going to be part of something much bigger than yourself. Just like all the others. Just like Pops. Don't fight. You'll see, it's a privilege. After all, they just don't make cars like this anymore. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash therongstation. This week's episode, Classic Car, was written by Jacob Duarte Spiel and performed by Anthony Batello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Batello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Ilana Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.